Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. You're listening to Yellow Wolf Podcast. Welcome to episode 315 of the Yellow Wall Pods. I am your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's DFB-Pokal exit against Werder Bremen and the 3-4 loss away to Bayer Leverkusen. And then we will preview the Friday night game against Eintracht Frankfurt and for that joins me Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias, how are you doing? Hey Stefan, I'm doing okay, sipping some Yerba Mate and <laughs> staying awake because of it. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Do, do you know this meme uh, with a with a cat that sort of has flashbacks from from the Vietnam War? This is how I always feel when I have to announce uh, all the uh, losses that Dortmund went through the week that we have to talk about. <laughs> yeah, don't <laughs> so even remind me. Meme. I mean, yeah. I, I say don't remind me, but we're actually going to talk about it, so never mind. <laughs> well, um, but the good thing, Matthias, is there is always a reason to do this show. And this week, this reason is Clint Westing, who is sponsoring this episode. He's from Australia and he wrote us a long email about uh, how, um, yeah, his dad, who has his roots in Germany, uh, introduced him to the love of the black and yellow. And uh, he has asked us to dedicate this shout out to his children, Max and Zilla, and uh, his twin cousins Dirk, Dirk and Sören who are from Germany and uh, his late parents who infected him with a love for BVB and obviously all the other black and yellows from down under so Clint Westing thank you A for your email and B for sponsoring this episode and uh, with that Matthias <laughs> we can dive into the clusterfuck that was the 3-2 loss away to the Werder Bremen team which is right now, what, 16th, 17th? Um, spoiler alert, they could not use that momentum they built in the DFB-Pokal to beat Union Berlin because that was a pathetic 2 nothing loss. You see, usually I would say I don't know even where to start, but I know exactly where to start, and it's uh, what Lucien Favre said after the game. He said, and I'm paraphrasing here, our first half was not good at all. We were shit at ball possession. We lost all our challenges and there was a lack of movement in the second half. We had scoring chances, but it didn't work out. And Florian Kofeld said, among other things, for the first time in months, we had a posit we had positive stints in possession. For the first time in months, Matthias. What does that say about this character of this team? Going to Bremen standing around um i think michael zork described it best as lahmarschig um which is uh, obviously a, a german term for just lacking everything slow no intensity um and at some point i i thought i don't remember if i wrote it or not but i know i thought it it's like they didn't care they're like eh, if we get knocked out of this yeah, so be it. You know, we'll, we'll try a little in the first half. Now, the second half is a completely different game. Um, now, what what I will say is um, the the uh, was it the the was it Bittencourt the screamer? Um, yes. he, if he does that ten times, nine times, it's going nowhere near the goal. <laughs> um, so well, it's funny that you mentioned that because on the Rasenfunk someone actually counted and he had six mini steps to adjust his body position before pulling the trigger there yeah but still but still I mean even if there's nobody in front of him in practice at high quality guys they try to hit it like that nine times out of ten they don't hit the target so well, um, nine times out of ten Marco Royce is in botches clearance yeah <laughs> I hope. you know the, what gave uh, Bremen the lead in the um, first half was not because they played so well, uh, not because they created great chances, because they didn't. 
they they just did not. Um, it's the intensity that they played with. Um, they did a good job in disrupting Dortmund's path passing rhythms and pathways. Um, and then their transition was extremely fast. Uh, yes, they had stints of possession, but I think stints is the right way to formulate that. It's not like they had long passages of possession. Um, it really, it honestly, it just comes down to intensity in the first half and who wanted it more. You know, I mean, you could talk about mentality, but that plays into it because on paper, Dortmund are significantly better than Werder Bremen. Uh, they showed that in the second half when Bremen, aside from obviously the third goal, did virtually nothing um, and just sat back. And despite trying to be compact and defensive, Dortmund carved them open, but just couldn't quite get that third and fourth goal, which was just a little bit too much to ask to always get that. Um, <laughs> and then there were certain situations where just the wrong decision was made with the pass, also in the second half. But um, you just saw that with Haaland freaking out a few times going, dude, Pass me the ball in this situation. Um, but it, it all got botched in the first half. I know I said on Twitter, and some people gave me flack for it, I said uh, Bremen deserved to win the match. I, w- I rewatched the match. Let me revise that by saying Dortmund didn't deserve to win the match because <laughs> of how they played in the first half. It's semantics. It's nitpicking. But it's an important distinction. It's not Bremen didn't outplay Dortmund one-on-one over 90 minutes. They they didn't. But in the first half, the match was done. And in the second half, where Dortmund played so much better, and obviously Gio Reyna uh, scoring an amazing goal. I mean, if you're going to score your first goal for a senior team at Borussia Dortmund, that's one heck of a way to score it. Um, but it, it just wasn't enough at the end. Uh, did Dortmund maybe deserve extra time? Yeah, they created plenty of chances. They were significantly better in the second half. But because of the first half performance, I kind of say they didn't deserve to win it. Um, and maybe Bremen didn't deserve to lose. So I guess Bremen deserved to win in a roundabout way. You know, the the, the first thing about Dortmund not deserving to win this, I, I don't think they should be allowed to get away with such a first half performance where it was... I, I think uh, I I tried to look up Lam Arshik and what uh, the best translation would be. And, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, there were words like träge and teilnahmslos and obviously lethargic in German and it all translates to lethargic. <laughs> and then Lam Arshik translates to bloody lethargic, <laughs> which made me crack up. But um, no, honestly, um, yeah, there was... It was just bad. And it was also very disappointing... Well, it it shouldn't have been because we all should have seen it coming based on previous experiences with this team and the gaping contrast between the home and the waveform. But knowing it's a cup match and knowing that Werder Bremen can develop into a Hexenkessel, the Weserstadion, um, you kind of knew that Bremen was always going to be up for it, especially since I think the uh, time Bremen knocked Dortmund out of the German Cup was exactly 364 days ago. So um, Dortmund should have been warned, but they did not heed any warnings and were basically relying on things going to work out all by themselves. And um, we're going to talk about this in the Leverkusen segment as well. And I mean, there's a famous line in hip-hop, ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. And there's also no such thing as halfway defending and that is sadly what Dortmund is doing right now and yeah it's it's very disappointing to to see them come out like this and uh, not be ready for the game at all so um just based on this alone they should not be allowed to play in the German Cup anymore uh at least for this season which they aren't um and the good news is Bremen have drawn Eintracht Frankfurt and uh, for Dortmund it's always good to avoid as many games against Frankfurt as possible because they tend to hurt. Um, so, yeah, what... the I don't know what's worse. The, the, the first goal and the error of, of 
where it was sort of a bad touch by Julian Brandt and played to Hakimi, who then I would say got pressed, but at the same time needs to play a better pass, loses it, and then Julian Brandt has a chance to re-win it in the box, doesn't, and uh, I think it was then uh, Davy Zelke who, who pawns on that shot from, uh, was it Rashica? And, I believe uh, so, yeah. But of course it had to be him. Yeah, obviously. You know, I, I think I said it on the show before that uh, Davy Zelke always tends to score against Dortmund somehow. Um, but I actually think, you know, these are the individual mistakes we have uh, learned to love and cherish <laughs> uh, from Dortmund, especially on that right side. Uh, we, we know them well and dear. Um, but I think what's, what is worse structurally was the 3-1 that Dortmund conceded. Um, because Yuya Ozako had literally the size of Australia to, to move around there in midfield. Um, Axel Witzel completely out of position. And, uh, I mean, if the pass is played, maybe a center back could move his, his line to, um, to to press the midfielder but that thing did not happen and then you had Osako with the time and space to send a ball for Rashika in a sprint against Mats Hummels and you always know these things don't go well obviously Rashika hits it extremely well but we know that he's capable of doing that because he's done it before several times he he's sort of developing a little bit into the new song Heumann son against Dortmund I I fear because he's always hitting these uh, shots with a little angle um so yeah it's it's quite annoying um especially because Dortmund seemed to be getting back into the game um Haaland who came in at halftime made it 3-1 and yeah but that didn't happen so Disappointing and also um, a game that exposed really where Dortmund have, you know, a lot of room for improvement. And I guess we have to talk a little bit about the uh, G. Reiner incident. Um, I think Julian Brandt said after the game that uh, the, the biggest problem with it was the momentum killer because Dortmund were really pushing for it. And then VAR comes in and, uh, I don't know, takes two or three minutes to rev review it. Um, I think in the end, the decision was uh, to book Reina for a dive and then uh, who who was the attack against? Mo Mo Moisander. Moisander, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the, the shove or whatever uh, yeah, was then basically obsolete and then both got a booking for it or or just Reina. I don't even remember. I think Moisander got one then for complaining afterwards or something. It was just a, a weird way to decide it. Um, do you think this should have been a penalty because... Reyna got shoved while the ball was still in play and the fall occurred in the penalty area or do you agree with the dive decision? Uh, I vehemently and completely disagree with it. I think it's absolute garbage. Um, first of all, I rewatched this match because I'm just that much of a glutton for punishment. I did the same thing with the Leverkusen match. Obviously, just removing some of the emotion and then looking at it from a more analytical viewpoint. Um, that situation, I don't even think Gio Reyna did a dive, to be honest. I've seen egregious dives, and that wasn't it. I think it was just a coming together a little bit. Yeah, it's not going to move into the no. Robin Hall of Fame. No, it sorry. wasn't a dive. It wasn't a, a deliberate attempt to get a penalty. It shouldn't have been a booking. Um, so I guess this idiotic referee's thought process is, you know, if there may have been an infringement before, I don't care if you stab a guy in the face afterwards. That just doesn't matter. Um, I mean, that's, that's, you know, taking it to an extreme, but what Moisanda did by the rules was a Tätlichkeit, as we say in German. So he physically attacked Giorena. He didn't punch him, but grabbing a guy by the shirt like he did and pushing him down is a foul. If that happens anywhere on the pitch, it is a foul. It is at least a booking, if not actually a red card, in my opinion could have given a red card the ball was still in play the play was still going it was a penalty there's it's it's just the the thing of well because i think Gio Reyna did a, a dive before which how can you see that on var and make that type of decision i'm sorry you idiot but then um to then say because of that what happens afterwards doesn't matter is total bullshit 
It's total crap. What if Dortmund would have scored a goal after that? Would that not have counted? Or if Bremen would have scored a goal? Or if there would have been a two-footed lunge in someone's face? I mean, it's just idiotic. It should have been, in my opinion, a red card for Moisanda. It should have been a penalty because a foul occurred during a live play in the penalty box. There is no doubt about that. And I agree that with Brandt that it killed the momentum because now everything was about that. Um, so uh, the referee made an idiotic decision uh, in that situation. Not only, you know, maybe you could say Moisanda shouldn't have get, gotten sent off for what he did. I, You know, you can argue that point. Should have been a penalty, in my opinion. But, hey, you know, for the second... It, and the same thing in the Leverkusen match. We'll talk about that as well. There's a certain player that <laughs> scored a winning goal that, in my opinion, should not have been on the pitch anymore uh, at that point. But, uh, hey, you know, that's that that's not the reason why Dortmund lost a match. But it certainly doesn't help. No, it's just there to annoy you a little bit more. That's that's what it is for, basically. Um, the the part that's really annoying about the Bremen game, obviously, is the injury of Marco Royce, who um, I think injured his groin while taking uh one of his classic Marco Royce on the turn shots. Um, maybe uh, he was a little bit out of training and his uh, muscles weren't uh, used to this move because I think I don't know if it was the first shot the game he had or or the second or so. Um, but. Yeah, it's very unfortunate he will miss now five to six weeks. Um, Dortmund said that he approximately won't be able to train for four weeks, so I'll add another week or two for recovery. Um, I really hope they're not rushing him, but uh, I feel they might because, um, you know, the games against uh, Schalke, Wolfsburg, Bayern are, are coming, uh, you know, very soon. I think mid-March. So, yeah. I guess you want to have him back for that. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how how that turns out. But it's obviously a big blow for Dortmund to not have the captain and someone that is uh, as uh, important as Marco Reus. Um, and, yeah, I also don't think Dortmund uh, did, did too well without him against uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Um, it is true, and I will say this, that Marco Reus... Um, in in recent games wasn't really the, the star of the show and uh, he himself had a, a lot of poor individual performances obviously still with the scoring output especially in the home games we all know that he he has i think scored 10 out of 11 at home but uh yeah it it sucks because uh, he's a very good player and it, it sucks even more that uh now Brandt is out injured too. We are not entirely sure for how long that is. But um, yeah, I, I guess we can move on to the Leverkusen game because that Brandt injury happened very early on in that match. Um, Lars Bender, I think Julian Brandt even said after the game that he didn't think it was a foul. I thought it was a foul. I thought it was a, a yellow card worthy foul. Um, yeah, he just... Uh, rolled his ankle and uh, I thought uh, he was going to go off right away but um, they waited until halftime which probably doesn't make matters better now um, Dortmund said that he is out against Frankfurt on Friday um, but might be playing in PSG um, I would say this from my own experience with the club they are not always entirely honest with injuries so it might just be that they want to uh you know play the old smoke and mirrors game and and leave Thomas Tuchel in the dark but my prediction is he's probably going to miss a little longer than just one game but uh, I hope uh Dortmund for once can be trusted in that regard and he will yeah actually be back so anyway Matthias um I completely agree with that sentiment I think Lars Bender had, I think, I think two or three yellow card worthy fouls, if not more. And, uh, you know, for Leverkusen, he was basically the MVP in the game. Uh, if you follow the Bundesliga bulletin from Abel Messeros, you will already know that Dortmund basically had the entire game plan designed in a way that they will find Julian Brandt as often as possible in the center of the field. 
And if you take him out, obviously, um, that sort of uh, ruins this plan. <laughs> so in, in that regard, it had a massive impact. And obviously, uh, we all know Julian Brandt's uh, amazing ability to play key passes. He, he did so against Werder Bremen a couple of times in the second half. Uh, Haaland nearly scored by rounding the keeper. Then I think he set up Gio Reyna for the first chance that uh, was saved by Pavlenka. So we all know what uh, Julian Brandt is capable of of especially in, in the second half so that was obviously a big miss and uh, then Lars Bender obviously not involved in that key situation but also um, the uh, goal that wasn't from Jaden Sancho um, I have to honestly say though I actually I agreed with VAR um, maybe I'm in the minority here but I thought that uh, the the pull from Giorena there on his arm was enough for a foul. Um, yes, Lars Bender, uh, I think, tucked the shirt first. Um, but I still think Giorena did enough to bring him down and, and foul him. And uh, since the attack went from right to left across the pitch, um, I think he might have still had a role to play to defend it or whatever. And he didn't. So I, I thought it was a correct, albeit very frustrating, decision to call it back. I think Lars Polman called an, an overcorrection. I don't know what your opinion is on, on that particular situation. But yeah, I thought it was a good call. Uh, begrudgingly, I have to agree with VAR on that. Um, it was it was a stupid foul. There was no reason why Giorena needed to do what he did. Um, it, it had he's, an impact. He's still a baby. And you know, yeah. if, you, if, if babies, if you put, give them a finger in their hand, they automatically grab. That's, that's how it works. It's, it's just how nature works. You're still a baby. Yeah. No, I, I get it, that. And, and, and I'll get into, uh, my opinion on the fact that I don't believe he should have even been on the pitch, but that's a different story. Um, be that as it may, you know, it, what it did was it eliminated the possibility of a defender to disrupt the move and so uh yeah it's it's probably the right it is the right call uh no probably about it um but uh don't want don't want still played well in attacking sense um and as far as Giorena being on the pitch in my opinion given the importance of the match and the tide of the match and the position that technically we're looking to fill with Brandt um it speaks volumes as to A, Giorena's development, and B, where Mario Götze sits in the pecking order of this squad. Because if you would think about it, the prototypical swap for Julian Brandt in that type of role would be Mario Götze. And I will argue that Götze would not make that same foul. Um, so I guess my question to you now, Stefan, <laughs> is... What, obviously we don't know, this is pure, pure speculation, but why put Gio Reyna in a situation like that when arguably Mario Götze would probably be the better fit and obviously a more veteran player that, you know, you maybe need in a situation like that? Well, I think Lucien Favre first of all, knows that Gio Reyna can play in the more central position and he's just watched him against Werder Bremen, had good minutes and thought to himself, well, this guy is in form and can help us out and uh, thus he plays and uh, I think um, Mario Götze is right now, for, for Favre's perspective, is really like the, the last ditch option. Like if, if nothing else works, um, then Mario Götze comes out and, and plays for like four and a half minutes um, yeah, I also wouldn't have had made, made this decision, especially because this is such a high profile game and Dortmund really, really, really needed to win this. Um, but on the other hand, I appreciated him giving the trust to a youngster that has a future Dortmund, unlike Mario Götze. Um, so I can understand. It, it was a risk. But it, yeah, it, I it, mean, it was a risk and, and it uh, might have paid off, but it didn't. And uh, as we all, all say, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and uh, the digit sum of twenty twenty is four, which is also the margin to first place now. So 
It all makes sense. Nice, nice, smooth transition there. <laughs> but but I questioned the substitution the moment it happened. I'll be honest, you know my opinion of the player. I would have rather seen Dahoot in that situation. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, just because... I, 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 I think everyone I, listens to this needs to pause the podcast <laughs> for like 30 seconds and, and take a deep breath and, and just... But, but in this of what Matthias just said. But in all seriousness, I just I saw that and I went, no, that is a mistake. That is wrong. You no, uh-uh. This is too high stakes. This is a too good of a side. And uh you know, Bosch isn't an idiot. Uh and and it's just I I and given the players, you, you know, you have a both Bendas in there and all that kind of stuff. It just, it was like sending a lamb to the slaughter. It felt in, in my heart. And I was like, I wouldn't have made that call. I think Gutsu or Dahoot would have been a significantly better fit in that situation. Um, also when it comes down to pressing resistance, um, and playing out of certain situations. Yeah. It's, it's uh, about it composure, just, really. Yeah. I, I just, Mario Gutsu usually has composure. Exactly. Other players. Uh, and yeah, and, and obviously Dahoud isn't known for composure at all times. Yeah, but he's known uh, for aggression, which could correct. Be that maybe too. Correct. Yeah. So I just it felt in the moment as the completely wrong substitution, in my opinion. And that's where part I put a little bit of the blame of of these results on on Favre in this case for that substitution. And then uh in my opinion the just the whole setup is is wrong in my opinion you can't i'm sorry you can't use hakimi as a wing back anymore you just can't he is a complete and utter defensive liability he and and guerrero is great creativity in in creative sense but positionally he's bad he is bad in a defensive position. I watched the game even the second time, and there were certain situations where I'm like, where the hell are you to both those wingbacks? And Guerrero a little bit less so than Hakimi, but they just leave spaces in the areas that they are responsible for. And if you look at the goals that Dalton has conceded for the most part, leaving out obviously some ping pong goals or a crazy screamer from 20 meters out it's the same goal it is the same Folant, Rashica, uh, Vargas and I swear to god we're going to concede the same fucking goal against Eintracht Frankfurt Kostic. it's <laughs> Kostic. it's that breakaway pass where if it's you know the, the saving grace in the first half why Dortmund didn't concede four goals is because Akanji was on Rashica and he could match his pace that was the saving grace at least three times. But if it goes the other way and you have Zagadou who doesn't have that kind of acceleration, he may have pace, but he doesn't have turning acceleration. Um, and, and whereas Hummels can turn, but then he loses out on pace, uh, you're going to concede that because your wingbacks are so high up and they're so positionally blindly unaware of their defensive responsibilities you're going to concede that same goal again and i'm, I'm going to put it down now Dortmund will concede that goal again against frankfurt guaranteed i have nothing further to add and i was not <laughs> going to rant i even told you i'm not going to rant today but it's just when people hammer on Akanji, uh, oddly enough, Zagadou, nobody hammers on him. I don't know why he's a sacred cow for some reason. Nobody criticizes him. He was not good against Leverkusen. Akanji was, was – in these two matches, Akanji was the best of the three. But the problem is those three defenders – you could have five defenders back there. If you leave those wings so exposed and you have your defenders pushed so high up against a team with pace, Parabon, then you are going to concede that. You can have the three greatest defenders in the world. And to me, the three we have right there are well above Bundesliga average. But you expose them over and over and over again. And that is the situation where I blame the manager. 
I don't blame those three defenders. I don't blame Hakimi and Guerrero. They are who they are. In those situations, you have to be smarter against who you're playing against, especially in situations when you're not chasing the result anymore. Or in the beginning when you're like, maybe we need to build up a little bit differently. But against, sorry to get back to Bremen, they were so static. There was no movement, which was also part of the problem, which you didn't have against Leverkusen, but then you were so exposed. To me, Hakimi cannot play there for the for the next few matches. Put Piszczek there because he's less of a defensive positional liability. Yes, you have less creativity going forward, but you've got Sancho up there. You've got Hazard will be playing. And you've got Holland up there. You don't need that from him necessarily. Or I don't know where Moray is in the development process, but just something else. Or put Emre Chan in that position because he could do it too. And so people who keep on hacking on Akanji for some reason, they need to wake up and understand there's more to it than his occasional mistakes. The mistakes are also created by the pressure that's put on him by the positional mistakes from the wide players or not pressing centrally in the right type of situation. <laughs> Axel Witzel, I'm looking at you. Uh, or even Julian Brandt. And... Emre Chan, I think, will help this team in those situations, but it's still a little bit too early for him. So that's it. I'm done ranting about that. All right. So um, here's the thing. I think overall Dortmund played a good match for uh, 70 minutes or so. <laughs> I I thought, I, I, I mean, sure, the way they conceded the two goals was not ideal, um, especially the, the one after the corner. Um, very annoying because these things keep happening. Now we do not directly concede from corner kicks, just from the second ball played back into the box because uh, Dortmund then just lose focus, um, which isn't ideal either because still kind of dangerous. You know, happened against Cologne, now against Leverkusen. You know, maybe pay a bit more attention to sites from the Rhine area when they inbound again after a corner kick or free kick you know might want to pay attention there i don't know um yeah that thing and uh obviously the the biggest problem then and uh i i think everyone in the Dortmund front office sort of lost their minds after the 75th minute or so when Dortmund just got so passive um, just inviting Leverkusen, like, if, if there's one thing you should not do against Leverkusen, it's just sit back and, and don't do anything. Um, and I, I think the, the third goal that Dortmund conceded is just a, a masterpiece of defensive errors. Um, I think, first of all, you have Witzel and Guerrero leaving the channel to Kai Havertz open for uh, Jonathan Tarr to play it right through. Um, first of all, there's no pressure on Tarr. Okay. Then uh, you can still say, well, Kai Havertz is in a good position and uh, it's smart positioning by him to be in that channel. But I think either Witzel or Guerrero should have the, the awareness. Um, but I honestly think... Zagadou should have moved and and left the back line um to to prevent that because that's something very effective that for example Werder Bremen did against Marco Reus the entire game whenever he received the ball in midfield there was a center back leaving the back line and and pressing Marco Reus and either pushing him into his own half or winning possession something like that i think um Zagadou needs to learn there um to be a bit more um t take a bit a bit of risk you know it can go you know you can look very silly against Kai Harvards but if you don't press him at all you will look even stupider to be honest so that's that's a big error right there um then Mats Hummels was sort of caught in no man's land and yeah Kevin Folland was uh, all by himself and Emre Can then after already I think suffering cramps is then there to to play that uh, you know that sliding tackle, but he plays the ball straight to who was the goal scorer in the end? Was it Paulinho? I I forgot. It wasn't that. Ah, um, oh, shoot. Yeah, exactly him. So yeah. Uh, no, it was Leon Bailey, right? 
That's right, Bailey. It was it was a few seconds after I said Leon Bailey wishes he was Jaden Sancho. Of course, <laughs> of course. So it's my fault, really. Well, you you see, um, and and you just said earlier that we should not hack too much on Akanji, but um, I have to say I don't know when his birthday is coming up, but uh, I would like to buy him a mirror mirror if he can turn his head and and see who is behind him, maybe, because um, you know, Peter Bosch might have had a flashback to his days at Dortmund where ball watching was like the number one theme for a whole half season. Um, and that that was pretty bad. So um, literally everyone in, involved in that sequence um, from Jonathan Tarr to Leon Bailey in the end, every four or five Dortmund players around that who could have done something about it did exactly the, the worst thing possible. And this sort of bodilessness is then uh, what what you get. So um, to to me that that was even worse. And then you know I, I kind of already knew that the fourth goal was was going to follow suit, just because um, it's it's that time in in the game where where Dortmund then can't recover, where they can't flick that proverbial switch anymore, and uh, it's just all shambles, and and no one's really on on any position, and yeah. I mean the uh, the fourth goal that last Bender scored. A was a bit lucky that he hits the header just so. Um, but also, yeah, the the advantage over Mats Hummels because he he was rushing. Hummels was just standing there literally, um, and no one obviously closed down the the person who who played that cross. So it's just very very disappointing that Dortmund can piss away a three two lead in Leverkusen within what eighty seconds or so. I think that's the, the most disappointing part from a fan's perspective. This is like losing there is already annoying considering the high stakes weekend that it was. But then doing it in this fashion is, is just such a Dortmund thing to do and just the most uh, e- egregious way to, to do it. And it's a, a little bit heartbreaking, but this, you know, we, we should be used to it by now. Well, I, you know, I have those conversations on Twitter, you know, especially with uh, people that have come to follow Borussia Dortmund just over the last few seasons. I said, you know, I've been a Dortmund supporter my entire life. I'm over 40 years old. Uh, this is Dortmund. This has always been Dortmund. It, it doesn't matter to the players. It doesn't, you know, it's like being a Tottenham fan, you know, will spurs it in the end. It's just, it doesn't matter who the players are. It just kind of seems to be uh, the MO. It's like uh, Leverkusen. You know, there's just team. There's just teams where it it just happens that way. Yeah, but um, the thing about Dortmund is, it's not always that way. Like, the, obviously, stupid stuff always happens in football to any team. Even even Bayern do stupid shit every now and then. Uh, so often they don't get punished for it. Um, like that Benjamin Pavard pass straight to I don't know Timo Werner or so. Um, but yeah, it's. I, I don't think it's entirely in Dortmund's DNA. I, I think there are worse teams that can bottle things, but right now Dortmund are morphing into that team a little bit more. Um, obviously, I don't have that rich history of, of observing Dortmund as you are. Maybe this is like the overall theme with a couple of seasons where it doesn't look like that, but um, I don't I don't think Dortmund usually don't bottle things by not fighting for it you know sometimes they're just very stupid and and dumb in 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 ways some goals occur but um you know this is this is a new level of bottling it by just not not fighting hard for 90 minutes and i i think for for the average Dortmund fan this is really the, the biggest frustration that you can almost not recount a single 90-minute performance where Dortmund for the entire time were in control and and sort of aware of what they were doing. You know, you can you can lower the intensity, then you just need to be a little bit more control in control with the ball or more compact or whatever. But this is just a shambolic headless chicken defending where uh, nobody knows what they're doing, and uh, yeah, it's it's tragic. No, I mean, I'll agree with you. There was that, I would say, four-year spell um, last 
maybe not the last last season of Klopp, even though there they showed some resiliency towards the end. But let's say the last three, four seasons of Klopp, first seasons under Tuchel, where Dortmund suffocated and controlled the opposition more often than they didn't. Um, and, and especially under Klopp, they just never gave up. I mean, you can see that now Klopp's Liverpool, the amount of late goals they get to win, that's simply down to the mentality of the squad. And, um, you know, Emre Can and Mats Hummels both spoke to that exact topic, uh, post-match. And for Can, it was interesting because, like, he diagnosed it within, what, a week and a half? Of being there going, yeah, this, this team basically has a mentality problem when it comes to that. And it's not everybody. I think if you look at, uh, players that don't give up, uh, definitely Buki doesn't give up. Hummels doesn't give up. Chan doesn't give up. Um, you, you also have to say that, uh, Holland does not give up. He's got fire in his belly, but there are just players in the squad and you can see it. You can just see it in their body language. Um, Sancho does on occasion. Guerrero absolutely does. Hakimi absolutely does. Zagadou does. Akanji does sometimes. Witzel even does sometimes. And that's very dangerous given the position he plays. Um, and, and Royce doesn't give up fighting. He just gets frustrated. And, you know, that's, that's, not as bad because at least there's passion there, but then he makes bad mistakes and stuff like that, you know, screams at the ref, even though I don't, that doesn't bother me at all. Um, I've screamed at plenty of refs in my <laughs> life, both as a coach and a player. Um, I, I like that actually, rather than that passivity. Um, and, and I think back to, you know, the match against Hertha, um, when the, was it the Davy Zelke goal that was chalked off? The heads dropped when they thought it was in, especially Guerrero. You just saw him go, ugh. And then the, it got overturned and, and everything worked out in the end. I just think there are a lot of players on that pitch that are weak mentally when it comes to adversity. And that's, that's an issue. Pischek is not that guy. He he's breaking breaking down, but he's you know physically he's not quite there anymore. How can he be given his age and the miles on those tires? But I'd rather see him at the end of the match than Hakimi because I know Pischek will not quit. He will not stop. And those are just issues that you have in the squad. And it, if you have eleven players on the pitch, having five guys that don't give up and six guy and say four or five that give up and one or two that are so so, you're going to lose matches like that. Everybody has to buy in and everybody has to give a hundred percent all the time, even when things aren't working out. And I just don't see that from key players. Again, I don't mean to be you know bash him that much but Hakimi is one of them Guerrero's another one they just it just doesn't come across like they give a shit or if they do give a shit that they just give up at the first sign of things getting difficult um and uh I'm not gonna say that necessarily about Zagadou because I think he's always just a very calm even keeled dude so whether they're up or down he seems to have the same demeanor Whereas someone like Hakimi, when they're up, he's hot. When they're down, he's just nowhere to be found. And you, and that's where those mistakes happen because somebody misses an assignment and bam, you concede against a good team like Leverkusen or even against a crap team, but especially against a good team like Leverkusen. Yeah, I think that's the problem that it almost doesn't matter who you play, whether you play against the best team or, or not. But, um, yeah, I feel like the, these are the, the things we especially point out when Dortmund traveled to the Allianz Arena or when they played the derby against Schalke. And, um, you know, I, th I think the, the main criticism really has to go toward Michael Sorg there. Um, because this is a, a problem that's uh, not just this year, but, uh, uh, several seasons now and I I really do think that uh, Dortmund need to <laughs> also look more at the character of players uh, in, in, in several ways um, you know there are people comparing Alfonso Davis and, and Araf Hakimi but um, I think that comparison is a little bit moot because Alfonso Davis has that hustle he is the guy who sprints back and, and wins these these ma matchups and, and does everything you can and 
you know, to put a bigger point on it, you know, I, I poked a little bit of fun at, at Dortmund on, on Twitter after the uh, scholar's straw be- between Leipzig and Bayern that they're rubbing it in by both keeping a clean sheet. But um, I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed that game, not because of the result, but um, there were two teams ready to fight and defend for every ball and had that will to protect their own goal um, for 90 minutes. And yes, mistakes were made and chances were missed. But um, the I, I still think that everyone did everything or their utmost to defend their own goal. And uh, if someone made a mistake... Like a Pavard, then you had a David Alaba running back and blocking the shot on the on the open line and and stuff like that. Obviously, um, you know Timo Werner and Leon Goretzka had a had a big chance to to score, and this game could have went either way. But um, that was really a big big contrast to Dortmund this season, and and it couldn't have been uh you know a, a bigger contrast on on this weekend really between two teams that really want to win a championship and, and are hustling and, and doing everything they can for it with a lot of aptitude, you have to say. I mean, uh, this Upamecano is pretty good. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you're you seeing Thomas Müller out there. You see Bayern's fullbacks, for example, and uh, the same thing can be said about Leipzig. We all know that they're very athletic but um, I would also say that uh, Hakimi is athletic. Rafael Guerrero um, can also run. So um, I'm 100% with you in, in that analysis. And I don't think it's going to change towards the end of the season. So while uh, mathematically Dortmund are still very much in the title race with four points, I think just, uh, you know, the the sort of way this team is, is set up and, and made up and, and composed. Um. Yeah, it's just not going to be enough because these games against Leverkusen or whoever will happen again and again. So that's just, uh, yeah, what, what it is. And we have to live with it. And it's very disappointing. And it's on Michael Zorc to, um, yeah, find players that, uh, do it better, even though I think Guerrero will stick around for a long time and Hakimi, I can see him stay on as well. So something you have to deal with in, in way, one way or another, um, I like that Emre Can said, well, uh, we just have to play dirtier, a foul here and there. Um, Michel Sok at today's press conference said that there are no points for winning the fair play ranking because Dortmund with 21 yellow cards, I think, are uh, have the fewest yellow cards in, in all top five international leagues. So that tells you something um, about how, yeah. How, how nice they are and they're a little bit too nice here and there. And I think Lars Bender really has shown. I mean, he only got one yellow card, but he destroyed like three players. I think this one uh, tackle against Haaland, which to me was also a glaring yellow card, wasn't even a foul. So I think um, it's it's smart to always go a bit over that line and to be a bit more brutal than it should be allowed statutorily because you get away with it. And uh, Bayern have shown that again and again. We've all cried foul, literally, about uh, so many times Ribéry doing stuff and Robben getting away with another dive. And obviously in the Champions League final, Dante on the yellow, kicking Marco Royce in the stomach. And it's not a second yellow. You know, all these things just remind us that you can get away with a lot of stuff on the football field and Dortmund should play a little bit rougher and brutalize the opponents where they can. So now, um, the question to you, Matthias, since you so, um, so masochistically watched the, uh, game again against Leverkusen, um, what did you make of Emre Chan's performance? And now that Julian Brandt is injured for at least one game, um, where do you see him play? Do you think, um, he will be in a double pivot next to Witzel? Um, I don't know if Thomas Delaney can be back, but do you think that Lucien Favre will now bring out the old cement mixer again? Um, well, uh, you know, Borussia Dortmund, going back to your earlier comments, are on the edge of being what I would consider a, te- a soft team. They're soft. And if you think about Dortmund's successes that they had, you had players like Sebastian Kehl, Sven Bender, Nevin Subutic, uh, Kevin Großkreuz. 
uh, Kuba Blachikovsky. These were all guys that fought that would also stick one in that would they weren't gamesmanship players not to forget the, the good old Marcel Schmelzer you of know? course you know uh, Schmelzer Pischek um, you name it uh, um, Roman Weidenfeller I mean uh, I mean Lewandowski I mean yes he was world class so that's you know it's not a fair comparison uh, but I mean Holland does incorporate a lot of that he's he'll get in he'll get stuck in he'll gamesmanship-ish things um so uh i think that's that's the issue right now don't want to just soft uh and you're not going to change that this season that's why i agree with you on that um that's why Emre Can is so important. Uh, that was the right type of player to bring in because Michael Zorc was that type of player. Michael Zorc was an extraordinarily good Bundesliga player, but he was never a superstar. And you think about the players he played with in Dortmund's glory years in the 90s, you know, he had Matthias Sama on his side. Um, he had Andy Müller, who Andy Müller wasn't necessarily a hard player. Oh, but he, he could game people. There was no doubt about that. He, he knew how to fall and when to fall. Um, just, just ask Karlsruhe SC. There was just a famous scene of him. Such a blatant dive. Uh, but Dortmund got a call out of it. So I'm not actively asking for people to cheat, but play the game as it's meant to be played at times <laughs> you know no to me it's you push it to the edge i don't like diving i'm not a fan of that well, i don't let, let, mind let's just, let's getting stuck in and say we want a little yeah. bit more shithousery yeah i don't i'd rather ex take dives out of it kick someone <laughs> get physical at times it's okay you don't have to take away the technical qualities of a side by also bringing in some physicality on occasion um so anyway where do i see emily chan in the next match i don't see him <laughs> I've i don't that i even asked the question yeah I, I don't see him in a defensive role in the sense of in the back three or in a fullback position i absolutely see him sitting next to axel witze uh you have to have it against this side against uh eintracht frankfurt where you've got the destroyers in central midfield who are their only job is to kick the shit out of players uh, that are more technical. I mean, Sebastian Rode is in there for crying out loud. That's his thing, you know? And that's not saying it's bad. That's just the role he incorporates. And I think Chan is the type of player that can kind of help with that a lot. Uh, his performance, I think in the first half, he was very rusty. Um, he he misplayed a few passes. Positionally, he kind of seemed to drift a little bit, didn't quite know where to go. Uh, but then in the second half, he definitely found himself. I mean, that one tackle, unfortunately, didn't stop a goal uh, in the sense of the, the play still resulted in a goal. But his uh, goal-saving tackle, that was world-class defending. A world-class tackle positioning hustle running for a player that's that was cramping up that had missed a lot of match fitness time that's the type of fighter that Dortmund need in the squad and uh so I'm really happy to see him and I think he'll play in the uh, in the double pivot with Witze and then once Brandt comes back I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in the back three I don't know about fullback per se, uh, or if they go switch to a three-man central midfield uh, with two strikers up top, kind of that three-five-two type formation. So uh, that's that seems to be to me. That's where I would rather see him than in the back three because of the amount of lax pressing and defending in central areas that have also led to the defensive line getting exposed on breakaways. That's so, the problem. We get exposed on the wings and in the center. So um, tell me well, where are we not well, you can, Well, you can you can shut down the wings by playing Piszczek instead of uh, Hakimi, in my opinion. That, that'll that also solve a lot of issues there and maybe asking Guerrero just to hang back a little bit. Um, and then yeah, you put do you Chan... Want, do you want Piszczek go up against Kostic? I mean, that's also, you know... Where's the difference? Okay, maybe he'll get beaten on pace, but if you, <laughs> yeah. but with Hakimi, he'll get beaten on position. So I would rather Pishek at least treble Kostic, and then you have Akanji on that side who has the pace that could help out. He showed that against Bremen with Rashika uh, in the first half, especially a few times, rather than a player not even being there and Kostic having all the time in the world 
to do something. I'd rather there be something there than nothing in that situation. But again, I think Chan uh, will play in the uh, double pivot with uh, Witze. Yeah, so my question to you is before we before we leave, um, obviously Witze right now has come under, I think, deserved criticism for not closing down opponents and making tactical mistakes. And I think that's also just because he's overplayed. I think that uh, a fresh uh, Witzel doesn't make these errors necessarily. And we've seen the same uh, dip, let's say, at the uh, Rückrunde last season. I feel like I'm watching the same movie again. And I was hoping in the summer that uh, Dortmund would find ways to mitigate that and rotate it more and sit it more so this doesn't happen now. Having in mind that Dortmund play on Tuesday at home against PSG, do you think in this current situation it would make sense to just bench him, only play one half or whatever? Because um, I don't, I don't see um, how much sense it would make to play him again. Um, yes, you need a very robust midfielder, but. Um, Do you think Favre should just go um, with the uh, Chan Dahoud double pivot and uh, screw everything else? <laughs> well, obviously these players can can benefit from some time off, uh, given the amount of matches played. But then you got to ask yourself, what are you going to do? Is it going to be Chan and Dahoud or Chan and Götze? Um, I think that's actually. One of those could be a viable alternative um, against uh, Eintracht Frankfurt because I don't think the the game is going to be won and lost in the central area per se in in this match. Given how Eintracht like to attack, if you you know think back to how they played against uh, uh, Leipzig, it wasn't necessarily the central area that was the the issue. It was it was more at the wings. Yes, they compacted the central areas so Leipzig couldn't play through it, but Again, the attack definitely came from out wide. So if you want a little more steel in the middle, maybe you do put in a Chan Tahut double pivot and give Witzel some time off. Or you, you start with Witzel and then you take him off after 50, 60 minutes, uh, given that you've got a big match against PSG who have a lot of attack, but also a lot of defensive liabilities, which should make for a fun match. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I personally would like to see Witzel given some time off. I don't know if that's going to happen, you know, especially because this is a Friday match, so you have an extra day of recovery-ish rather than if Dortmund were playing on a Saturday. Um, so uh, probably going to see Witzel play. You know, I've cried a lot about scheduling, but I think this time uh, Dortmund actually uh, had had a, a nice schedule here. I think uh, obviously... You don't want to play against Frankfurt on a Friday night game because, uh, yeah, that's uh, just uh, going to hurt. <laughs> Frankfurt in prime time, they will do anything they can, and that's uh, that already bodes disaster. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting how Dortmund will fare without Reus and Brandt. Uh, Brandt obviously one of the big key players, so um, there are big shoes to fill. Um, I wonder if Dortmund then basically play with Sancho Hazard and Haaland uh, as a front three and then have Witzel and Schaan in midfield or Dahoud and Schaan or whatever. Um, this is what I expect. Um, I don't know if Gio Reyna will start. I I would say no. I think uh, you would have Hazard and Haaland there and and obviously Sancho and then hope for, for the best that it somehow works out. I don't know. Um, I'm not too optimistic, but this is a home game, and uh, maybe this Leverkusen game did something to these Dortmund players in a, in a way that they hustle a little bit more. They certainly have to. They've certainly been warned. I mean, if you watch Frankfurt games, you you, you know uh, it's it's going to hurt. It's going to spark. So yeah, I don't know. What what's your prediction for this game, Matthias? Uh, two two. All right. Yeah. I. I That would have been my prediction, but uh, then I'll, I'll, I'll do one more and say 3-2 just because I'm trying to be positive here. So, yeah. Anyway, that uh, wraps it up for this week, Matthias. Once again, thanks for coming on and doing this with me for a good hour or so. Um, please tell our listeners uh, where to get in uh, enlightening discussions with you on Twitter. 
Uh, yeah, um, maybe not right post-match, but uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Smatiasuk. Wonderful. You can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter as well. You can find all of us at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast in various means, please do that via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and of course YouTube, where I urge you again to subscribe to our channel because that helps us with uh, monetization at some point. So uh, just a couple extra cents here and there might be nice. And uh, obviously, if you want to sponsor an episode like Clint Westing from Australia, please go to patreon.com slash wall, and then you will find the button where you can pledge 10 bucks once and uh, then I will give you your fan club or however you want it a shout out. And yeah, that's all for this week. As always, thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye.